0: Look at this one. What's the difference? It's bigger. bigger. It's bigger, that means it's also what? Older, Okay. With tree, they have rings. And the rings show the years that it's lived. So this one has a lot of rings on it. And it has grown through the years. You all are going to grow a lot. And it's going to be amazing. Scripture tells us that one of the things that you need to be doing as you grow is not just grow like that tree did, but to grow spiritually, to grow closer to Jesus. Um, The passage I gave you for today is, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So how can you do things to grow in grace, What do you need to do to grow as a Christian? What do you think you need to do? What would be some good things to help you grow as a Christian? You're doing one of them right now, which is what? Okay. Going to church and worshiping? Very good. Yes. What can you do on your own? Some of you are getting to the age where you can start doing this. What do you think? Read your Bible, yeah. Learn what God has left for us to know about him. I'll give you a clue. What's another thing you can do? You can? You can pray. Make sure you're praying and encouraging one another. I want you to do that because there'll be a day when you might be the person who's sitting up here or over there playing the music or teaching the Sunday school class. God will be using you because one time I was one of you all. I was a little kid who came up And learned about Jesus in Sunday school and in worship. And so I got something for you today so that we would watch each other grow and we could be reminded. I ordered um, some blue spruces from a company in Vermont. And so I want you to take one of these and work with your parents, find a place to plant it. And as it grows, be reminded that you're growing just like the tree is, but make sure you're also growing closer to Jesus, okay? And I've taken a couple of these that they're at home with me. They're gonna be planted in my place in Birmingham so I can be reminded that I need to grow, but also reminded of how much I love you all, okay? So when you leave, I'm gonna pray. Of course, I've got smarties. Um, one last time. And get your Bible verse. Parents on the back, uh, it gives you instructions on what you're supposed to do with this thing, okay? All right. And, uh, and if there's any leftover after service, if anybody wants one of these, they're blue spruces uh, from a company in Vermont, and they're be beautiful when they grow. So. Uh, but reminding the, us that we all need to be growing in Christ, okay? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you for these blessed children that you have given us here at this church. Bless their families. Grow them in grace. Give the parents wisdom as they raise them. Lord, we pray your watch care over these children, that they might grow to be the next Sunday school teachers, the next missionaries, the next musicians, the next prayer warriors, the next servants who go out and help people in need, the next pastors and teachers. Lord, use these children for your glory and bless them and bless their families. We give you all the praise. Amen. I'll be reading now. You'll find it in your worship guide, your pew Bible. It's on page 848. If you please stand in reverence to the Word of God. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them, well, ask him, being Jesus, which commandment is the most Important of all. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Here we go, okay? Brought my own. Oh. As I have a couple things, observations I can tell you from real life. Um, I have a a medical condition that causes water to flow from my eyes. There's nothing I can do about it. I've seen several specialists, so it's, you know, just be aware that's happening and um, nothing I can do about that today. I also can guarantee to you that. That is not a great weight for weight loss because I have given more water out of my eyes in the last six weeks than my life, and I think I've gained 10 pounds, so it's not working. So I, um, When I'm down in Birmingham, I'm at Briarwood Presbyterian Church now, very blessed to have that opportunity. Um, I often tell Mary that the people remind me of you all. Everything is compared to you all. Preaching my last Sunday wasn't a good decision. <laughs> but I kept getting advice on what to say. Oh, don't, don't do this. Make sure when you get up there, don't you do last Sunday? Don't do everything now. You've got to make sure you focus on one thing. And the, the executive pastor who was the one who did the final interview and made the final decision to let us come down there and serve and give us that call he said, you know, Don, it doesn't end like this very often. And I hope I got the message right. Um, as always, I'm going to take my watch off. And you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Um, so. <laughs> no Sunday school. Going to have cake after church. My dad is actually 90 today. Isn't that amazing? My dad is 90 today. Wow. Let me begin with this. Uh, First, thank you. Uh, Mary and I both express our thanks for the wonderful time that we've had with each of you. The last 19 years have been amazing. We've been so blessed. Raised my kids here. Came here, Matt was going in seventh grade. Started to name names. I thought I'd name names, but then I really was thinking about the church, and I thought that's so inappropriate to name names, because in reality... And um, Paul points to the fact that the church is a body, and we want to make one part more important than another part, and we shouldn't do that. Some of you have been teachers in the lives of my children. Some of you have been coaches, some of you have been mentors, some of you have been youth leaders, and some of you have, have poured your life into our family. But know some of you have been prayer warriors some of you come over here and keep the grounds clean some of you make sure the pews are straight all the books are right in place the pews and the bulletins are put away some of you have been preparing the the elements for communion some of you have been doing so many things that get zero recognition in the eyes of man for the most part and i was reminded as i thought about that that as a runner runs along we often think about them they cross the finish line and everybody gives them the accolades oh You know, when we think about their feet and we think about their determination, but the reality is we forget that there was a heart that was pumping blood the whole time. Lungs were working to get the oxygen into the bloodstream to feed the muscles. The muscles were working. The nerves were working. And I was thinking, what are the senses that work in a race? Because this is a race. That's what Paul says. We're running a race. And I'm thinking, as I've run many races in my life, and those days are long gone now, my eyes would tell me where I was on the track or on the course. My ears would tell me where the opponents were. My heart was beating as hard as it could for the moment of that time. My mind was pushing my muscles to stop telling it that it was hurting. All of these things were going on. And I was trying to think, what does my nose do during that time? What takes in air? But it also wishes that it was not behind the people in front of them. Uh, that was a motivation sometimes. A <laughs> side note that, that reminded me of a: the, you're going to hear one more bad joke from me. You know, if you're the, if you're not the lead dog in the Alaskan sled team, the scenery never changes. Think about that. Um, that linked to my nose somehow. I don't know, but that's not a good thought either. So, pretend I didn't say that. The reality is that the body works, and when the body's working, a lot of people don't get any recognition. God has allowed me to be up here. God let me do these things with the kids. That was no more important than what you all are doing. So let me say thank you on behalf of me and Mary and my family for 19 wonderful years, almost 7,000 days. And those were key days in our life. For many of my children, this is home. This is all they know. This is home. That's a great thing for them, it's home for me. So, thank you. Um, that wasn't the sermon. all right. That was just a thank you with a note about the church. Let me tell you one last thing about me. Most of you know this, but I want to make sure when I leave here you know this. Uh, no, let me say one more thing before I say this. Okay, I didn't put this in here you all have but Zion Presbyterian Church is blessed with what I consider the greatest ministry in Murray County in Zion Christian Academy I think you, you downplay that sometimes in your minds but you directly impact 450 plus students every school day are in those, these facilities plus the families they represent is another thousand so you probably have about 1500 people that are directly impacted not counting grandparents out in the community that's a tremendous ministry that this church has as part of its body. We had a meeting this week down there. It was five and a half hours long with the administrators. I was not leading it, so it wasn't my fault it was that long. We were talking about this issue about the Christian school and the church. Briarwood has 4,500 members. It has more people in its ballet program that are at the school on a regular day. Almost 500 children participate in ballet at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. They said, how does this church and the school work? It was fascinating, because we were talking about this, and I've been wrestling with this. And they said, well, everybody kind of thinks it's a partnership. We're getting into that partnership mode. They said, it's not. It's us. I said, Briarwood Christian School is like one of the organs of the body. It's not separate. It's not a bus that we, we fill up and let it run. It's part of us. And Zion is the same way. Zion and Zion Christian Academy, it's a tremendous ministry. I hope you realize how important it is to this community and what a blessing it is to this community. That many children and parents are impacted every school day by that ministry that this church, it's yours. You don't partner with it, it's yours. Praise God for that. All right. Enough of all that. Sermon number three. This is the real one. Um, brief intro. I'm a born-again Christian. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that, that God has a plan that says that man in his fall is sinful and unacceptable to God. And there had to be some payment for that. And I realized over time that I could not do that myself. My works would never be good enough to cover the sins that I commit. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's who I am. That's not just what I am, that's who I am. And that's important for us to remember. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God and not man's invention. I believe God breathed that in those people who wrote the Bible over history. We're writing down what God said to write so that I would know God and know his plan and be obedient to it. And in the good times, I can go to God's word and be comforted. In the bad times, I can go to God's word and be comforted. It is there to guide and direct me. And I strive in my life to believe that. I believe it's his revealed word communication to all mankind. And I believe that Jesus is the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. His death is the only sacrifice or work that can pay for my sins and allow me to be right with God. And that's what you hear here every Sunday and every other time there's teaching. That's not my profession as a employment. That's my profession of belief. That's my faith. It's important to know that. Because I think it, sometimes church can become the facade where it becomes we come and we and we do this and then we go home and it, it's you. This is who you are if you are in Christ. Um, and I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. It's what Jesus said in John fourteen six. And I'm not going to argue with Jesus. I'm not going to turn around and say Jesus, you're wrong. There's ten other ways. You got that one wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not wrong. I can't call Jesus a liar and then expect that to be the source of my salvation. Today I want to talk about the truth about Jesus Christ and the truth about love. And I'm going to begin by saying emphatically that I love you all. And I don't think we say that enough to each other. I honestly don't think we say that enough to each other. This is only hard because of how much I love you. It's not about the house. It's not about the anguish of boxes. It's about love. But I know that in time, there will be a time that all of you in this room who are in Christ, you will be with me in heaven and we will rejoice and there will never be another goodbye. That will be for all eternity. There's also a house down in Birmingham that we own that you're always welcome to come and visit while we're there if we're waiting for that other time, so always feel free to come down and see us. Let's talk about love. In, in today's world, there are three words, and I put the three L words in your notes, if you're following That's there's an outline in your, in your worship guide, the three L's, and the three L's are confusing us in our world, and they get confused in the church, and that's the word lust, the word like, and the word Love. And in our culture, we intertwine the three, and that messes up some things that are truth about Christ and about his church. I'm afraid to take in water, it might start coming back out, but I think we're doing okay. Lust is that natural but overemphasized physical attraction to one another. In Scripture, it's also that passion we have for things in the world. Um, Webster defines lust as an intense longing and craving. Uh, We've seen something that we just had to have. And that becomes a lust in our eyes. Um, 1 John 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we have this biblical issue with, with lust of passion. And we've all experienced it, whether it's in the inappropriate way or it's that thing that we just wanted. You know, for me, every now and I get these emails from all these tool companies now, and the latest gadget will show up in an email. You've got to have this for your workshop. Woodworking, this will make everything easy. And I watched the little video, it makes the angles come just right. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, if I just have this, I'll be better in the shop and what I produce won't lean when it's not supposed to lean. Um, It'll actually look right. And so I develop a lust, a passion for this. And if I can just hold off, I've learned if I can just hold off about 10 days, I'll start thinking rationally again and I might say, I don't want that. Nobody will think I made it if it's standing upright. They'll think I just bought it, you know, so why would I want that? But that's the thing that gets control of us sometimes, is this lust. And in the sexual content or the attraction towards someone of the opposite gender, that takes over and we begin to equate that with love. And if you work with teenagers very long, you know that's a really, really difficult thing to overcome. Because we say we fall in love. And I see so many young men and and young ladies who fall in lust, is what they really did. And they call it love, but there's nothing else there except for a physical attraction. Well, the second word was like. Like is, is more relational and is based on a passion or intense longing for. Like is based on those aspects of life which we enjoy, but it can change over time. I used to really like running. I know that sounds crazy for most of you, but I really liked, in fact, is I would say I loved running. The reality was I liked it a lot but over time my knees didn't like it anymore so I quit liking it as well. My passion for running ended. I don't like running anymore. You might like chocolate or love chocolate whatever your word is but maybe over time that'll change to something else, maybe not. But likes can change. I might like something for a period of time but my attitudes and behaviors change in different situations. I might like how a car looks and realize over time how impractical it is and quit liking it and take my focus off of it. From the biblical terms, we do interchange words like like and love often and confuse the deeper meaning. Um, There are a couple words that are in scripture. Phileo, which is the Philadelphia, comes from that city of brotherly love and "storage," which is from Romans 12, to love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. We have those types of relationships. They're relational. Like is a relational part of our aspect of our life. And then there's the actual word love. This is the one that gets overused, overworked, and misunderstood, and we don't do it very well at times. Because love isn't just an emotion. Love is an action that's called on by God, that we are to love one another. Sometimes whether we like them or not. Um, In biblical terms, I think the highest form of love is the agape love, which is love that is sacrificial. It's not self-centered. It's not self-seeking. Understanding that our language has changed the meaning of certain words relating to love. If we get that right, we'll understand Christ better. I mean, think of some of those songs. You know, I was thinking back of all the love songs. Uh, Marshall Tucker had a "Heard It in a Love Song." Can't be wrong, you know. We've been together so long; my boots all need resold. On and on it went. Another one that came to my mind is um, "What's Forever For" from the '80s. So, what's the glory in living? Doesn't anyone stay together anymore? If love never lasts forever, tell me what's forever more. I'd sing it to you. If you know that song, it'll come back in your head. You'll never get it out for three days. But we wrestle with these terms, and as a church, we need to make sure we get our handle on these and, and live them outright. But let's look at what Christ does. I, I was reminded of uh, Jay Adams as a biblical counselor, was a biblical counselor, and he gave the story of a man who came into his office, and the man said, I, I don't love my wife anymore. I don't love her. And he was trying to get Jay Adams to give him a a way out. I get it, man. You you ought to leave her. I get it. And Jay Adams said, well, Jesus said, and the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. And that was his answer. And the guy said, whoa, 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 you don't understand. I don't love her. He said, the Bible says, love your wives. That's what it says. Husbands, love your wives. That's what the Bible says. Go love your wife. I don't love her. He said, well, let me, let's try this. He said, you can't get that. He said, I want you to move next door to her. I want you to get the apartment next door, the house next door, rent it for a month, and just live beside her. Because Jesus says, love your neighbor. And it's like, oh, this isn't going well. And he's really getting frustrated. I can imagine he's getting frustrated. It would frustrate me. And then he goes, no, you don't understand. I can't stand the woman anymore. We can't stand to be together. Nothing's working. I I just get nothing. You don't get it. He said, so is she like your enemy? Yes. Jesus says, love your enemy. You see, we can't get around biblical love. We can't get around it. Because it's what really was happening there was that period of time where there wasn't a lot of light going on. But God still commanded us to love. And if we want the out where we can't be together, we don't like each other, then Jesus modeled these things. So what I want us to do for the next few minutes is look at how Jesus lived this out because if we get Jesus right, we're going to get everything right. Your life will be different if you understand who Jesus was, what he did, and you come to faith in his work. That will change your life. That changed my life. Was Jesus a hypocrite, or did he live this out? Let's look at this. Let's look at the three aspects that we had. Because he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. This man wrestled with the things that Jesus had said, love my wife, love my neighbor, love my enemy. Did Jesus love his neighbors? In a real broad overview, absolutely yes. There's not a neighbor that he didn't reach out to. Even when he was rebuking someone for their misbehavior, that was love to them. Nothing worse than allowing a kid to run out into the middle of the street and say, I love you, but I don't want to tell you to stop doing that because that will hurt your feelings. When I love my child and they're walking out toward the crowded street, I'm going to grab them, I'm going to pull them out of that, and I'm going to love them by saying, I'm not going to let you die today. You won't understand this today, but I am showing love to you by saying no to you and teaching you not to go that direction. Well, Jesus was answered, answered this question. And right after this, the passage goes on to say, in one of the narratives where they said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Jesus didn't just tell the story of a Good Samaritan and then walk away. Later on, we see that the woman at the well, when Jesus went to the well and the disciples went to get food, and Jesus is sitting there, a Samaritan woman comes up. And he says, draw some water for me. And she goes, whoa, whoa. You're a Jew. You don't talk to me like that. You don't talk to me at all. What are you doing? And Jesus reached out to a Samaritan and began to present the gospel to her. Jesus loved his neighbor. He reached out to the ones that the Jews, when they came back, they said, What are we talking to that woman for? But that's what Jesus did. He reached out to his neighbors, no matter who they were. And when he taught people to reach out to the Samaritans, he did it himself. She asked him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, that was out of context, in that culture, that was unheard of. What are you talking to me for? But then he says, I'm, I'm presenting to you living water. Far better than what we're going to get out of this Well. Throughout the life of Christ, he's seen crossing over to reach out to those who are less desirable members of society. Maybe the people that the the leaders of the church really didn't want in the synagogue at that time. They'd rather not have them come in. Jesus was seen talking to tax collectors, the adulterers, the poor, the sick, the unclean, the most wicked of sinners who were being excluded from the good news of God. They were the primary focus of his attention. He reached out to his neighbors. And he never left one where they were. He always encouraged them, go and sin no more. Change your behavior, come to faith. He made no distinction between the classes or the ethnicity or their current spiritual life. He always was touching lives and giving them reason to believe and hope through his life. How about enemies? Jesus taught, love your enemies. Matthew 5, he went through a long dialogue about that refuting the view that you should hate your enemies. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the ultimate test of this, the ultimate moment when any of us, I believe, I know with me, if that was on a cross, being crucified for something I didn't do, not for my sins, it was unjust, but it was part of God's plan. It was necessary for the the payment for my sins. But I would not be saying what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. For they know they know not what they do. Luke twenty-three says that's what Jesus said from the cross. And underneath him they were casting lots for his garments. So we have Jesus who loves his neighbors, Jesus who loves his enemies. And let's take the enemies one, one step farther because Scripture says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Christ's death on the cross didn't wait for us to do something. While we were still his enemies, he was paying for the sins of his people. Romans 5 says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since then we now have been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved by him From the wrath of God. My Savior died for me while I was an enemy of that Savior. That Savior reached out to me as a neighbor when I was not acceptable and clean. Did Jesus love his bride? In Scripture, the bride of Christ is the church. One of the nicest things about doing a wedding is I always focus my eyes on the groom while the bride is walking in. Because I imagine Christ, as the church comes into his presence for all eternity, the groom adoring the bride as she comes in. That moment is one of the sweetest pictures of the gospel, even if they're not Christians or not, because you see the, just the adoration in that moment. All of these acts that we have there have shown Christ's love for his bride, the church. All of the life of Christ was that of sacrifice and humiliation for the sake of his church. For believers today... His prayer in the garden before the arrest, trial, and crucifixion shows his love for those who, of us who were not yet born. Both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 relates Christ to the church. The passage that, that haunts me most is the one that says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Oh my goodness. Can, can, we, can we find an easier way to do this? I can't live up to that. Jesus showed the highest form of love, agape love, for his people. Think about the word like and the word love now. Jesus did not like the cross. Jesus did not like suffering on the cross. He did not like that. He actually prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, lift this from me, but your will be done, not mine that's the perfect picture of how love plays out. I don't want to do this, but I love you enough to do this. And Christ loved his church enough to go through the most horrible thing that he did not like. And in our relationships, we may not like some things that happen in our life, but we have to love our Lord and Savior through them. Love is not always accompanied by feelings of like. We love because Christ first loved us and gave himself up for us. 1 John 4 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. But if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he cannot see who has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, Jesus was the perfect example of love in every aspect of it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you don't understand who Jesus really was, if you're listening to a lot of lies in the, in the world now about Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection, then get to God's word. Find the truth. Follow the truth. At tough times, Jesus directed people to see their sin and called them out of it. He was gentle to those who needed to be carried in love. He was passionate to bring people to the Father and to be saved. It was from beginning to again a sacrificial love of the greatest magnitude we have ever seen. So let me wrap it up with what's your response? What's what's that do to your life right now? In John 14, 6, what I read earlier, Jesus gave us the warning, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's not another way. If there's another way, then Jesus is a liar. And be honest with you, we're all about as dumb as can be for being here today. But in my heart, I know it's true. I know it's true. If you've not been thinking about this in your life, I encourage you to take the time to wrestle with the eternal perspectives and aspects of life in our existence. When you die, what will your time with God be like? Apart from Jesus, it will be a time of just judgment, God's righteous judgment. If you are in Christ it will be a time of rejoicing and homecoming because the righteousness of Christ is really what I'm wearing right now not this black robe if you're in Christ does it show beyond the works of your speech do you love do you so love in the biblical sense towards one another the love of sacrifice the love of serving without reward or recognition do you love with the love of philippians chapter 2 these passages I'm going to read to you really are my life's theme. When I read Philippians 2 for the first time, I said this, this, is, this, is, this is what speaks to me most. So I'm going to share this with you as we wrap up this message. Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in that day I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. God bless you all. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you we would grasp the love of Jesus Christ, that we would fulfill the gospel mandate to be loving one another. Lord, I pray for those here today who may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, may not know who this Savior is, may not understand the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would be alive to them. Lord, I ask your blessing on Zion Presbyterian Church that you would continue to do a great work here. Lord, that you would bless these brothers and sisters that you have blessed our family with through all these years. Lord, may we all grow in grace together and rejoice in the hope of heaven. Lord, I pray that you bring us back together many times before that time comes. That we would continue to fellowship and love and have friendships that last for the rest of our lives. We pray for Zion Christian Academy that you would bless that incredible ministry here in this community, that it would bring you glory and honor through the generations to come. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, which in his name we pray. Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. Receive now God's benediction. I want remind you that it is my dad's 90th, and we do have some stuff over in the other room, so stop by and uh, wish him a happy birthday and celebrate with us. We Actually, our van pulls up Tuesday. We start moving Tuesday, and... Uh, then the van sits, the van full of all our furniture is going to sit in Birmingham for three days and unload on Saturday. Uh, don't ask me why. So uh, be praying for us. Next Saturday we'll be unloading in Birmingham at our house and worshiping at Briarwood Presbyterian Church next Sunday while you worship here. And we will be praying for you. Be praying for us. I uh, look forward to when we can get back together again. Receive now God's benediction. I'm reading to you from 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. May God bless you both now and forevermore. Amen.